you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Bite.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Bite. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. This is episode 259. It's also part two of my interview with Mark Summers. Mark Summers, who's this guy? Well, TV personality, game show host, radio disc jockey, magician, stand-up comedian, talk show host, producer. Last week, we talked about the fact that he was the host of Double Dare on Nick Also, he is involved in Unwrapped for the Food Network and the executive producer of Dinner Impossible and Restaurant Impossible for the Food Network. This week, kind of an inspiring story because last week it seemed like, well, this guy just led a charmed life. Not so. He has had to battle a lot of adversity, and he has managed to to turn it around and make it a plus for him and his career. Like I said, an inspiring story. Part two with Mark Summers this week on Hollywood and Levine. And how about uh, after Double Dare? Um, at one point, I was doing Double Dare on a show called Couch Potatoes. I was doing six shows a day, Monday through Friday in Philly. It would take a 7 o'clock flight to L.A., would shoot five Couch Potatoes on Saturday at KTLA, five on Sunday, take the red eye back to Philly, get in at 6 in the morning. They'd let me sleep till noon, and I'd come in and do shows from like 1 to 8. Uh, that was fantastic. Double Dare stopped, and it was like, okay, now what happens? Um, and I was kind of confused. Cash potatoes was on and off in about two seasons and I was trying to figure out what was next. And, uh, for some reason, people always thought I was a producer. I could never figure out why they thought I was a producer, but they did. And, uh, I got called by a lady, Roseanne Gold, who was a, a James Beard award winner three or four times. And she had a concept called recipes, one, two, three. And I went to pitch it at the food network. And all the time I'm pitching Roseanne, they're looking at me and saying, well, why don't you do a show? Why don't you do a show? And I went, what do I, I don't cook. I don't know anything about food. Well, somebody had done some research and found out that the kids who grew up watching me on Nickelodeon were now at an age that maybe they would follow me over to the next thing I went. 
So uh, Roseanne didn't get a show, but I got offered a show called It's a Surprise about surprise parties. The surprise was nobody was watching and they were going to cancel me. But in the meantime, I was doing a special up in Colorado and they gave me a tape. Uh, they had done a pilot uh, or a special uh, of Unwrapped with another host on the channel, Mark Silverstein. And I said, we're thinking about doing this as a regular series. What do you think? I looked at it and I said, well, you know, biography is like the number one show on a and E. I I think this could be for Food Network, but biography is for A&E. So uh, we shot 13 of them. They put us on at 1030 on Monday nights. We crashed and burned. The president of the network called me and said, look, Mark, it's dying. It ain't working. We're going to move you to nine o'clock on Mondays. If it works at nine o'clock, we'll do more of it. Otherwise, have a nice life. Well, for some reason, at nine o'clock, Unwrapped exploded. In fact, what people don't know, although there would be no Food Network without Emeril Lagasse. He's the king of Food Network as far as I'm concerned. But Unwrapped, believe it or not, used to beat Emeril just about every week. And we went from 9 to 9.30. Then we were doing 9 to 10. We were doing an hour of Unwrapped. Then they gave me a show called a Trivia Unwrapped. It was a game show. So from 9 o'clock till uh, 10.30 on Monday nights, it was all Mark all the time, uh, doing uh, doing Unwrapped and Trivia Unwrapped. And it exploded. Then next thing I know, I was hosting uh, Next Food Network Star. Uh, so when Guy Fieri won, I was the one who uh, was hosting the show at the time. And then I started uh, exec producing shows for them. I did uh, Dinner Impossible for uh, several seasons. I did Restaurant Impossible for many seasons. And so I, I had a 20-year career at Food Network when I basically knew nothing about uh, how to cook. It, it just happened. Okay, now I don't know where in the timeline this fits, but I want to talk for a few seconds about my favorite game show that you hosted. It's called Cram. No, I never hosted Cram. I you hosted, never hosted Cram one time. Uh, I was doing a show called uh, Win Tuition at uh, Game Show Network. And on April Fool's, we all switched places. And so I hosted Cram for one episode, and somebody else hosted my show. And so we all switched places. So I only hosted it once. It was a fun show, but I just did it once, and, and, and that was it. Well, well, I don't think it lasted very long, but it was no. a very interesting concept where they kept the contestants awake for like 24 hours and they had yes. all this information stuff to cram yes. that was going to be on the show. So it's like we're going to tell you the answers, <laughs> but we're going to tell you a gazillion answers. And then while they're doing the show you did everything you could to like make them go to sleep or yes. have them do physical challenges when you know, it was they were sleep deprived i mean it was a sadistic show it really was it really it was fun and it was funny but you're right it only lasted a season and when i was doing win tuition uh that didn't even we they ran out of money we were supposed to do i think uh, 40 episodes they ran out of money at 32 i mean game show network when it first started was sort of all over the place uh and it, it was a bizarre place to work but yeah cram was fun uh and it was sadistic but unfortunately I did one i forget who the original host on that was but uh it was, it was fun to do you've also done talk shows you've pretty much done it all and so on the surface it would sound like this guy has led an absolutely charmed life that's not the case uh no. you were in a car accident uh you battled cancer yeah let's talk about the the reality of of being mark summers here well um I wasn't feeling good one day and I went to the doctor and uh they thought I had some blockage in my lower intestine. 
So uh, they were going to do an operation to uh, unblock me. And when they got in there, they found other stuff. So when I woke up from this operation, uh, being the stand-up comic, I said, uh, so, hey, doc, uh, how am I doing? Like, I don't have cancer or anything, do I? And he says, well, as a matter of fact, you do. And it's like, oh, my God, those are not the words you want to hear. And so I uh, went to a doctor in L.A. who wanted to blast me full of chemo. And I said to him, um, uh, should I get a second opinion? He said, do you take your car when you get it fixed for a second opinion? I said, yeah. He said, yeah, go get a second opinion. So I had a friend who was a big wig in Chicago, and he said, why don't you come to the University of Chicago? They have a teaching hospital. Uh, so I flew to Chicago and met with some uh, young doctor who had just graduated from Stanford, and Stanford rather, and, and um, he misdiagnosed me, told me I had something called mantle cell lymphoma, and told me I had six months to live. Oh, my God. Well, uh, I, I couldn't believe it. So I'm in Chicago in a cab crying. How my old eyes. are you? Uh, I was about 65 years old. Wait a minute. Uh, no, I was about 60. I was 60 years old. And uh, I called my wife in the car and said, uh, I'm going to die. Um, according to this doctor, I have mental cell lymphoma. I'm not going to see our kids get married. I'm not going to see our grandkids. And she was, Alice was at the computer and said, well, let me, let me look it up. What's it called? I said, mental cell lymphoma. And this is what I hear on the phone. Oh my God. I thought, Oh my, what's the matter? She said, this isn't good. So I called my oncologist in LA and I said, I just got diagnosed with mental cell lymphoma. And he goes, no, you you don't, you don't have that. I already checked you for that. I said, well, this doctor says I have it. I'll be dead in six months. So I said, would you call him? And he goes, no, I won't. I said, why? He said, well, um, it's, up to him to call me. I said, you know, I may be dying here. Do me a favor, pick up the damn phone and call him. <laughs> so he got on the phone and called and called me back 20 minutes later and said to me, the doctor never said you had mental cell lymphoma and never said you only have six months to live. And I said, wait a minute. So what did I do? I Googled things that could kill me before I went to the hospital and came over the man. I said, I never even heard of this thing. What are you talking about? Well, the guy denies that he ever said it. Okay, great. I said, well, now what do I do? He said, well, you're living in Philadelphia doing all your shows. Why don't you go to the University of Pennsylvania because they have a great hospital there? Well, I called a doctor. His name was Dr. Edward Statenauer, and he saw me. And said, um, you probably have CLL, uh, chronic lymphatic leukemia, but I need to check the slides because you may have mantle cell lymphoma. And I said, well, my doctor in L.A. says I don't. The doctor in Chicago said I do. He said, well, until I see the slides, uh, I'm not saying anything. So I had to get the slides from UCLA, said to him one thing after another, and was finally diagnosed with CLL, chronic lymphatic leukemia. I said, well, what do we do now? And he said, uh, well, we could do nothing and watch it. Uh, I could do what the doctor in L.A. wanted to which is blast you full of chemo, uh, and that would uh, will wipe out your immune system. That's not a good idea. Or I could start with the lowest dose of chemo, and let's see what that does. So my wife and I decided to go with the lowest dose. So for two years, I was on chemo at the University of Pennsylvania Hospital. I would get it on Fridays, have the weekends to recover, and then go back and do either dinner or restaurant impossible. And uh, I was good for about eight years. Uh, it came back. I had chemo for another year. Then it came back again, and the chemo wasn't working. So they put me on some pills called, I think it's Imbruvica. I've been on those for the last couple of years. And uh, they've saved my life. So it's been 10 or 11 years since I've been diagnosed. So far, so good. I'm doing well. I go back to Philly every six months for a checkup. Um, and the other story is I was uh, coming back from a shoot. Uh, I think it was either, I think it was dinner impossible. And I was in a cab. Um, in Philly, I didn't wear my seatbelt. It had been raining, and the cab driver hydroplane took me to a center divider, and uh, my head and face went into the uh, credit card machine in front of me. Ooh, broke ooh. every bone in my face. Oi. Yeah, and so I get rushed to the hospital. They have to rebuild my face. You look good. 
Anyway, the guy. I mean, we're mixing. we're looking on Zoom. Obviously, this is a podcast, and you can't see. Uh, <laughs> let me move the microphone a little bit closer to the screen here. Okay, you look pretty good. But Dr. Taylor is a, is a genius. I never thought I would look this way again, and he rebuilt my whole uh, face. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, those are the ups and downs uh, that you don't hear about. And so, you know, it was interesting. One of my desires was always to be on Broadway. When I was in my Indianapolis Hebrew Congregation confirmation class in 1966, I guess it was, we went to New York, first time I went to New York, and we went to see Fiddler on the Roof, and uh, Herschel Bernardi had just taken over for Zero Mustel, and I had never seen anything like that. And I thought, well, I want to be on Broadway. I don't know how you do it, but that's what I want to do. And so uh, Bruce Valanche is a friend of mine. He was doing uh, hairspray in uh, in New York. I went and had lunch with him. And I started talking about, you know, I always want to be on Broadway. He said, you know, ever since I've known you, you've been talking about this. Stop talking about it and do it already. So there was a, a restaurant next to uh, where the producers was being done called Angus McKindo's. And on the third floor was where all the uh, Broadway people hung out. It was owned at the time by Mel Brooks and Nathan Lane and... Um, uh, to get on the third floor, you, you couldn't. They would always stop me. Well, some night, one night, I managed to get up on top uh, on the third floor. And here were, you know, there was Nathan Lane over there, and here was Matthew Broderick, and 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 it was crazy. And so uh, I was at the bar, and a guy came up to me and said, I could have been you. I said, well, what does that mean? He goes, I auditioned for Double Deer, but I didn't get it. I said, well, what do you do? <laughs> he said, uh, Good luck getting a drink. Yeah. <laughs> I, I said, well, what do you do for a living? He said, I produce Broadway shows. I said, really? I said, I think that's a much better gig than what I ended up doing. I said, you know, I would love to be on Broadway someday. And he goes, well, um, that, that, that could happen. We'll see. So after the accident, I called Roy and I said, I know you're not going to put me on a Broadway show, but what can I do to sort of start the path? He said, you know, I just took over a theater in um, Long Beach Island, New Jersey. I don't know what we're doing this summer, but we're going to do about five or six shows. Let me call you in a few weeks. So he called me a few weeks later and said, um, we're going to do uh, Grease. Do you want to play Vince Fontaine? I said, do I have to audition? He said, no, you got the part. I went, great. So I played Vince Fontaine at Long Beach Island in Greece for three weeks. It was the best thing that ever happened to me because I met a guy by the name of Drew Gasparini. Drew Gasparini was in the show, but he wrote music and had connections to everybody uh, who was starting uh, on Broadway. And he introduced me to a guy by the name of Alex Brightman. Alex Brightman uh, at the time was in, I think he was doing Wicked. He has since gone on to star uh, in School of Rock and... Uh, uh, doing Beetlejuice. And I sat with these guys and said, I want to do a Broadway show. And they said, well, about what? I said, I don't know. And they decided my life story would be sort of interesting, a one-man show. And so I would sit with them. I would take them out to dinner two, three nights a week and just tell stories of my life. And they wrote all this stuff down and they came up with a show called The Life and Slimes of Mark Summers. And the next thing I know, I was performing this uh, at the uh, uh, theater in Bloomington, Indiana, uh, Bloomington Playwrights. Um, and, you know, I had to memorize 70 pages. Well, I was getting old. I was in my mid to late 60s. And I was having a hard time memorizing this thing. And we were going to do three weeks of performances. And I finally went into the artistic director, Chad. And I said, hey, Chad, we're going to have to cancel the show. I, I can't memorize 70 pages. And he said, we're sold out for three weeks. Figure it out. Get the F out of my office. And so 
somehow magically I did it. And uh, we did three weeks in uh, Bloomington, Indiana. We then went and did uh, the Adirondack Theater Festival. And we were talking about doing it off Broadway. And then this magical thing called COVID happened. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that came to a screeching halt. I've recently been called about doing a tour starting in 2023. I should live so long. Uh, And uh, starting in Philadelphia and doing it other places. Is it going to happen? I don't know. Um, But I got to live my dream. And uh, it was one of the most fun experiences I ever had. It has been uh, recorded and a documentary was made out of it uh, that we can't sell, um, believe it or not. <laughs> we, we have pitched it to many people, Netflix and everybody else, and uh, apparently nobody's interested in, in my story. But uh, it's become a very expensive home movie. Maybe someday somebody will get a chance to to look at it. But, uh, you know, it's just another thing that I've done in my life that, you know, I, kind of every dream that I've ever wanted to do, I've somehow fulfilled, which has been amazing. Well, you've also got the talent to be able to do it. I mean, not many people can command an audience for 70 minutes. That's that's pretty good. It's hard. You know, I, I've been passionate about the entertainment industry, and I've been persistent. Uh, I always said I was a Jewish kid from Indiana who had absolutely no talent. I taught myself magic. I emulated people on TV or, you know, in film or in theater that, that I liked and, and stole certain things, you know, Johnny stole stuff from Jonathan Winters from, from Jack Benny. We all take pieces and elements from other people. And, um, you know, it's been kind of a magical existence. Uh, I'm 70 years old and I can't think of much else that I really want to do. I still would like to do a Broadway show. Drew uh, Gasparini is now uh, writing Karate Kid. Unfortunately, uh, that ain't going to work for me. Um, but down the road, Alex uh, or, or Drew are going to have a lot of clout and hopefully they'll, they'll sneak me in and I'll get into one of these things. Well, I actually, maybe you can be in one of my plays and well, we can get it on Broadway. Let's do it. You know, You're a name. Uh, for a waitress. <laughs> and uh, it was one of the scariest things I ever did. But I, I was playing uh, the part of the, uh, you know, the owner of the of the diner. And it came back that I wasn't believable because I had a lilt in my voice and I played it too young. And I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm in my late 60s. And they said, yeah, you don't come across as a guy in your late 60s. You just you just play it too young. So, um, you know, I, I didn't get that, although they did call me after the fact and said, would you tour with it? I don't want to tour at this point in my life. I don't want to do a bus and truck going to Evansville, Indiana and, and Toledo. Uh, uh, but someday we'll, we'll figure it. I actually tried to get the part of the wizard in Wicked. That, that didn't work either. So uh, whether I have enough talent to do this stuff, I don't know. Tell me about the plays that you've written, though. I want to hear about this. Uh, well, that's a whole podcast uh, in and of itself. Oh, I've written eight plays and I've gotten them done in various places, including Indianapolis. Really? I had, a, I had a play in Indianapolis a few years ago. Where? And, uh, oh, God, I can't remember the name of the theater. Really? <laughs> you know, because I, you know, I get you know, these calls saying, hey, we want to do your play at the uh, Barrington <laughs> Theater. And uh, I, I, okay, great. All right. And, and they do it. And, you know, I've had plays off-Broadway and... Albany and Australia and Amazing. various places. Yeah. Um, but I've never had anything on Broadway. And I think that's probably because I've never been able to attract stars. You know, if Tom Hanks wants to do your play, then you're on Broadway. 
if Tom Hanks doesn't want to do your play, then you're in Indianapolis. So, yeah. <laughs> but I'm you know what? How ben Crystal does when he brings uh, back this uh, show that he's if they get up due to COVID. I don't know what's happening, but uh, it'd be very interesting to see if that works or not. But you know what's really interesting? A lot of my plays have have been in community theaters and regional theaters, and I've gone back any chance I can to see them. I'm always pleasantly surprised by really? how good they are. And, and you're seeing some talent out there when you're going, what is this guy doing in Albany? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what is this guy doing in Bellingham, Washington? You know, this, this guy. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been really fun. And since I write comedies, you know, there's on Broadway, everything has to be important but uh in the rest of the world they're looking to be entertained it's so true and you know three people see us seem to run broadway and to get through i I met with so many people about doing my one-man show and man um i got called from one producer who said could somebody else play you i said (laughs) what are you talking about he said well we want to tour it and you can't be everywhere. So we want somebody to play you. I said, it doesn't work that way. Nobody's going to be able to get up there on that stage and, and talk about cancer and getting hit with a car and breaking up every bone in your face and all that kind of stuff. I said, it's my life. So it's like if somebody, you know, if somebody else tried to do 800 sundries, the Billy Crystal thing, it wouldn't make any sense at all. So I said, absolutely not. I'm, I'm, nobody's going to be, you know, can't do me. Yeah. I got to do me, you know? Yeah. You know, and here's the sad thing. Without the cancer and the accident, probably no producer would be interested. It's like, oh, okay, he did this and then he did this. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, wait, there's cancer. Oh, it's it's a feel good, you know, he survived cancer, you know, kind of thing. It's it's uplifting at the end and there's some drama to it. Yeah, yeah, you know, the double dare crap. But uh, yeah, yeah, we, we got something with that. Let me tell you a story. Alex Brightman gave it to... Uh, a big producer in on Broadway. And he said, will you read this? He goes, I'm really busy right now. Uh, it'll probably take me two or three months, but yeah. Well, that night he called Alex and said, this is all bullshit, right? This isn't true. And he goes, no, it's all true. He goes, but the guy had cancer. He broke every bone in his face. I'm come on. This is all crap. And he said, no, it's absolutely true. And he goes, I want to talk about doing this. And so he's been very helpful, but uh, you know, I, I just, you're right. You, you got to have uh, ups and downs. If everything's, you know, hunky dory, nobody wants to see it, but you got to have some recovery. And, and that seems to be uh, the magical thing. So we got to get Tom Hanks to do one of your shows, apparently. Is yeah, that, we is do. That <laughs> <laughs> we do. So what are you doing now? You know what? COVID sort of brought everything to a screeching halt. Um, I had a couple of projects, uh, you know, pitched over at Food Network, but, you know, everybody's just trying to produce what they already have and trying to break new shows has been tough. So uh, not sure. There's a show uh, I can't even talk about this. There's a show I used to do that we're talking about maybe bringing back. That's a whole other issue. Um, but I believe it or not, I have been filling in on talk radio in Los Angeles. I got a phone call a couple of months ago saying, you want to start doing weekends on KFI Saturday nights? I went, Okay. And it was fun. And this week, uh, I've been doing drive time two to six. As a matter of fact, you're my guest uh, today at uh, at five, I believe you're on. Uh, it'll be fun reversing this and, and get to talk to you. And I'll try to lower <laughs> my a voice. Lot of work. I, um, I 
knew it was going to be hard because I'm booking all the talent. I'm doing all the research. You know, I got home last night. It's, I, I live on the central coast. So it's two hours down, four hours on the air and two hours back. And when I got back last night, I prepped all night for the show today. And so um, my admiration for, you know, Howard Stern to me, may be the best interviewer ever. He gets stuff out of people that no human can get. And, um, you know, John and Ken, who I've been filling in all week, 30 years on the radio, these guys work their rear ends off. You don't just walk into a studio and talk. Uh, there's work to be done. And uh, I've gained a whole new appreciation for uh, this art. You know, uh, when you and I were on the radio playing records, I didn't do any prep. Uh, I was yeah, saying degrees in Indianapolis, <laughs> you know, here are the association, you know, and, and that, that's what we did. But now you got to work, you know. Yeah, well, KFI, for those of us lucky enough to live in L.A. and grew up in L.A., legendary call letters. I was a disc jockey there when they were doing music back in 1983. It would be 82, 83. Yeah, Loman Barkley was still doing mornings at KFI. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so it would be fun to be back on KFI. Now they're the number one talk station in the country. Unbelievable. Yeah, Yeah. because they're local. Yes. Yeah, because they don't have 15 syndicated shows because <laughs> they they made the commitment knowing going in they're going to lose money for like 3 or 4 years and then turn it around and they made that commitment and they have been the number one talk station for years and years and it doesn't hurt that they have that huge signal, 50,000 watt clear channel. If you're on at night and Saturday nights, they can hear you in, you know, <laughs> Puerto Rico. I mean, they, they can hear you everywhere. Of course, with the podcast, you know, you can hear this in Bhutan. So <laughs> that's what's cool. And also we're on the iHeartRadio app. So, you know, we're coast to coast, uh, you know, any time. I had somebody contact the other day. I did an interview with Tom Dreesen. Tom opened for uh, Sinatra for like 14 years. And, you know, uh, people are contacting me saying, boy, I heard that interview you did with Tom Dreesen. Well, I did that, you know, eight weeks ago or something. But that's the magic uh, of the world we live in now. Nothing goes away. If you Google Mark Summers, the, 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 the crap that pops up of stuff that I did 100 years ago, like magic that I did in Canada, where uh, I had no business doing magic on television. It, everything's there. Um, I was on the comedy shop, Norm Crosby, the show called The Comedy Shop, and Dick Martin introduced me. I remember we were backstage, and he said to me, you know, I'm supposed to introduce you. I've never seen you. I have no idea what you do. What should I say about you? Real show business. Um, and and it's all there. Uh, a sketch I did on Donnie and Marie with Ruth Buzzy. I mean, anything that you did in your life, how does that stuff pop up there is my question. <laughs> Who does that? All I can say is if anybody has any air checks of me on WDRQ Detroit and they post them, I will find you and kill you. (laughs) Do you still have some of those air checks? (laughs) Buried away somewhere. Yeah. Reel to reel tapes. Yeah. So good luck. They they may actually be dust now, but uh, yeah, yeah. I have some of my I have some of my ten Q tapes from nineteen seventy seven, and those are online. You can find and you can find me on KFI on some websites too. Yeah. I I went uh, and I have the storage unit which I should get rid of, but I don't. And I found uh, college tapes of me on the radio on shamrock tape and, and start to have some of the stuff dubbed over. And, uh, you know, most of it is turning into dust uh, you, you know, at some point it all goes away. I just took every 
video. I, I recorded everything I ever did. Every time I was on Hollywood Square, Squares, every time I was on Win Loser, I have everything I've ever done. And I just recently had it all, uh, uh, you know, put over on a DVD and, and whatever, uh, digitally. And um, I had Bob Barker. I was working on True the Consequences, and I got an offer to do um, – magic at the Sheraton hotels around the country. They were putting in little nightclubs and I had to record my act. And I, I was friends with Barker at the time on Truth or Consequences and got him to come to the Magic Castle and introduce me. And I found the tape and as they put it in the machine, it just crumbled. And I thought, uh. oh my God. Well, luckily I found another one and I, I got it dubbed over. And in fact, uh, my documentary that you'll never see, the opening is Bob Barker <laughs> introducing me at the Magic Castle. And he does such a great introduction. I was waiting to see who the hell was going to come out because it certainly wasn't me after all the things he said. So you know, that, that was a fun thing. And, and luckily I was able to get that finally dubbed over and, and have a copy of it. So it's a little scratchy, but I got it. All right. Well, someday I want to see your one man show. Uh, again, thanks so much. This has really been fun. And my kids say hello. Uh, how old are the kids now? <laughs> how old are the kids? They're 39 and 35. <laughs> yeah. Not well, to make you of, feel old. Hey, my 39 and 35. 41 and 38 are my kids. You know, tell them to, to come up uh, here to Santa Barbara and I'll, I'll slime them if that makes them happy. Oh, I'm sure they'll love it. Okay, Mark, <laughs> thanks much. Thanks, Ken. Fun guest, really. Mark Summers, my guest this week on Hollywood and Levine. If you want to get in touch with me, you can do so very easily. I have an email address, hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. You can also uh, follow me on Twitter at Ken Levine and Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, to Howard Hoffman, to Bruce and Jason Miller and John Wolfert. And I will see you again next week for more of... Hollywood and Levine. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented... They'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.